Welcome to the show, everybody. Thank you for downloading. My name is Pete Wright, and I'm here with Megan Strand. Hello. And Dane Christensen. Hello. And uh, we are the Naked Marketers, and we've got a great show. Our interview coming up a little bit later is uh, with Chris Skaggs from Soma Games and Code Monkeys, and then we're going to talk about the looming app economy and what you need to do to get your brand ready for uh, ready for uh, getting your own app in the various app stores and in people's hands. Uh, but first, we do need to run through just a couple of very quick stories, very quick, uh, that relate to our favorite things. <laughs> or, although are they becoming less favorite, I think, between what, between you guys, right? You're not interested in talking about this anymore, right? It's not that we're not interested in talking about it. It just feels like we should change the name of the show. <laughs> <laughs> the Naked Apple Marketers? Naked Apple Facebookers? <laughs> Peter's we only talk talking about, about things Apple. that we care about. <laughs> well, it's because this is fascinating. This is why I want your opinion on this story. Okay, okay so we ahead. know about Antennagate. We know that you know <laughs> there there are people who feel who who when they put their large sweaty hands on their iPhones, they lose signal. <laughs> and yes, I've, I'll probably get some angry email from that from the large sweaty large handed, sweaty no sweaty I, believe you, I believe you said they were large sweaty left handed people. Large sweaty lefties, which that's is right. totally an ADA protected group that's right because well and they're also communists so uh, anyway so we know that this happens we have video evidence that this happens of course it happens we're we're sorry it happened so apple held held their press conference we talked about it last week that the press conference was going to be friday well now friday has come and gone the press conference has been and uh, you guys you didn't see it did you you didn't watch it i didn't watch it Steve, I read your I, blog I've post about it. Twitter I, feeds I wrote a blog post about back it. rumors. Steve, Steve was pissed. Yeah, he was pissed. He was, he was downright, uh, uh, downright uh, uh, angry, caustic. I was going to say swarthy, but I don't think that's the right word. Well, okay. <laughs> so talk about what essentially summarize your blog post. Right. Well, and talk no, the about idea what, is what they here's did, the problem. The strategy was. Here's the problem. So they know that there there is an issue. They decided it, it was a designed decision. They said, you know, this is we're going to put the antenna on the outside. That's what we're going to do. And we stand by our decision to do that. The people have spoken. They're frustrated. So Apple says, OK, uh, the people have spoken through the voice of the media. They have not spoken directly to us. And by that, we mean we haven't gotten any uh, appreciable call volume. Our return rate is significantly less than the return rate for the iPhone 3GS. All of our data and evidence says we don't have a problem that the media says we do and the vocal sort of blog punditry says we do. And that, you know, the bottom line is if people would just focus on all the good stuff that's going on with this phone, they'd let go of the fact that, you know, they're watching bars go down. But what we're going to do to try and shut you people up, they did not say <laughs> this, is number one, we're going to give you all bumpers. The bumper, Apple bumper case, which is the rubber bracelet case that goes around the, the phone. And that, that makes the problem go away most in, in 99% of the of cases. Or duct tape. Or duct tape, which is Consumer Reports kind of flagship bit of idiocy. <laughs> uh, it's just inane. Uh, but the other piece that they did, and this is the question I have for you. They trotted out videos of the major competitive smartphone handsets on their new, a new web page, uh, you know, antenna performance web page on apple.com, which illustrates what happens when you hold every one of these smartphones uh, with, you know, in, tightly around their antenna. And in some cases, it's around the left side. Some cases, it's around the bottom middle. Some cases, it's putting your fingers up by the ear. And when you hold these phones, <laughs> the signal drops. The bars drop. So we know this happens to other phones. They even did it with all the other iPhones. It's just the fact that nobody has noticed until now that this happens. But it's been happening all along, right? Right. What do you guys think about this idea of bringing the other, uh, the other manufacturers into uh, Apple's, uh, Apple's game? So Now, what I do you mean by bringing them in? Well, they didn't have to drag, uh, you know, Rim and Samsung and, uh, you know, into this discussion. I mean, these these guys, what do these guys do? Nothing. Well, I, I think you can, but I think you can really clearly pinpoint what they're frustrated at and, and what they're kind of saying, but sort of um, uh, in, in, in the way that they're saying, I don't know, uh, and, and what, what, they're, what they're upset about is the fact that, um, uh, news sites, uh, whether they're news uh, like Newsweek or uh, blog sites like Huffington Post, for instance, th those sites have very um, 
they're they're honing some pretty high level strategic skills when it comes to pay or, or to getting hits to to driving traffic, and and those sites know that if they can find any weakness or flaw at all and start to blow it out of proportion, it's going to drive traffic uh, with, with something like the iPhone. So they already know that iPhone hits are going to be huge and any iPhone-related news, and they're watching uh, trend data on, on iPhone-related news items, and they just keep churning uh, uh, for mileage, essentially. Uh, it, it's really an interesting thing to watch, not just... I don't know if you guys read. <laughs> I don't know who else other than me reads that double X on Slate.com, the female <laughs> blog. Um, but they did a piece on uh, Jezebel exposing this new host from G4 to The Daily Show and and how they got all this mileage out of calling it a feminist issue. And you know, without I don't know if anyone read that one, but it was fascinating. Um, but it was a former writer from Jezebel who's writing for Slate who who talked about having been at Jezebel uh, how like the words you're going to use in your headlines or the way you're going to expose something is 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 all about driving you, you know traffic and i think that's what steve jobs is essentially saying is um yeah uh, uh customer satisfaction is actually really high with this uh phone uh but you, you know you wouldn't know it um reading the news and it's kind of old to just sort of say like ah oh, the media's you know media's at fault here but they really are driving for these stories. And so I think kind of, I don't think Apple has a choice. If this is the tack they're going to take, if this is their strategy you, to, to drag the other, uh, you know, hardware sets in there to drag other competitors to sort of paint a picture. I mean, that's the picture they're, they're I mean, they're, from their perspective, they think that's right. That's the truth, and and it's not being told. Well, right? and, and it's I think it's amusing because you know some of them they needed to be dragged into the hole because you know like Nokia and um, uh, I think Motorola both posted ads uh, saying you can hold our phones any way you want. Well, you know what? Even according you to can't. your own instruction manual, there is a place in the instructions for those phones that says don't hold our phone this way or you'll drop signal. So uh, well, see, uh, and. It's so interesting because I think Apple would love it if somebody else took that on, but nobody. But they're not. Yeah, so here, did. here's my take on this because I think I, I I I tend to not like it, but at the same time, Apple never does stuff like this. So the fact that Apple is not, you know, in the habit of dragging other companies through the mud per se at press conferences and using this like <laughs> ours is just as you know, it happens to everyone sort of thing. I think it can work for them, but I don't think they should continue to do it. I think if it's, you know, it, it can be effective in limited chunks, but I think it's dangerous to play that game where, you know, you're you're kind of taking the rip off the gloves perspective and say, here it is. So it, it may be true. I'm not saying it's not. It obviously is, but it just, it's not typically, I think, a recommended strategy for dealing with customer complaints but well that's that's what i kept thinking about was you know did they have uh, another choice given the situation well that's what i think yeah i mean i think that in this situation they are okay to do it so well i i think it was a it was a terrific press conference and frankly i love the the tone and and tenor of the of the press you just like it because it's like entertainment it is great (laughs) entertainment and i love the fact that these executives get up on stage and they're pissed and i like seeing them pissed and i like yeah that is kind of i like that that level of communication unless you're from scott evest unless you're from scott evest (laughs) or or you're from rim or nokia uh in which case you feel like a you know a, a second grader who just got his lunch money stolen so, what other Apple news do we have, Peter? <laughs> Moving well, along. Moving well, along. Megan, we do have co- we do have some cosplay pictures. Uh, if you'd like to talk about your recent That's events in San not- Diego, Comic Con is going on this year. There's a lot of money in San Diego uh, going on in San Diego right now. Yeah, right. a lot of and that's all we need to say about Comic-Con. that. You know, I, I it's it, I think what's interesting about Comic Con is that there are a lot of launch properties uh, that we're going to be seeing uh, in the entertainment business, uh, from games, from you know, graphic novels are always sort of where that starts, but games and movies are are now being launched in Comic Con. So it's I think it's is it going on right now? Or it's going it on right week? as we speak. As it we just speak. started I think yesterday, last night I believe. So we so. don't have anything really interesting to say other than pictures from last year which we'll post to the blog because you can never have too many pictures. Really? Do we have to post yeah. that to the no, blog? No, abso abso freaking lootly. Yeah, really they good are. ones. I do think <laughs> though guys, this is one of those like uh is GameCon the other one? Is a uh, um 
you know, Comic Con. These are these are historically sort of uber nerd uh, gatherings, um, but but it is very interesting actually to see how other forms of entertainment are um, are finding their way into these conventions, whether it's um, you know, producers or scriptwriters looking for, you know, comic books to turn into to movies. I mean, there are actually some stars showing up. They're getting some big name DJs to host parties. It still is pretty much a geek event, but um yeah, as as the growth of like video games and 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 as uh movies and, and other forms of entertainment look to diverse creative uh sources, uh th- this actually has a whole lot you know, more legs, uh, economically, as you were saying, Peter, than I think, I mean, most people in America are just <laughs> Comic-Con will have come and gone and they will never have known it even existed. Uh, but it's a bigger deal than, um, than I think it's been given credit for in the past. Yeah. I think so. it really is the DNA of, of the next two years, five years cycle of entertainment. I mean, that's where this stuff is coming from now. Yeah. Well, because we'll be talking about games later in we, our show. We absolutely so. will. Exactly. We will also be talking about, uh, an, I I think this is interesting. Should we talk about the uh, ten ways Facebook can ruin your life? Speaking Dang. speaking of other things, you shouldn't yeah, be doing. Yeah, well, with your and free here's time. but here's the reason I wanted to bring this one up, and it's the exact <laughs> same reason that uh, we talked about um, the Apple like antenna. I think the exact same things are at play here. Uh, Newsweek has an article uh, that that is um, currently on their their homepage called Ten Ways Facebook Can Ruin Your Life." So it's just got that dramatic quality to it, right? It isn't an article about um, how Facebook uh, will indeed ruin everybody's life, um, but it's just that same sort of play on, okay, here's a hot trending word, you know, Facebook, Daily Show, Apple, iPhone, these were, if you, if you can put, you know, a big brand term like that uh, and, and pair it with ruin, devastate <laughs> you know uh, all it is is a, a, an interesting little article on you know well gosh for all the things facebook is great at look out for these 10 um so actually it is interesting and i am going to re- quickly read through them because they're interesting but um it, it, it's really the exact same thing at play i think uh that we were talking about with apple that uh you know these big news organizations kind of need to to to, to continue to maintain some element of controversy with a big trending term. But I liked these. I'm going to read through them. You'll be reunited with your biological parents. Could ruin your life. Your creditors can track you down. Your insurers can deny your claims. Your ex can use it against you in a divorce. It could make you depressed. It could cost you your job. It can out you to your family. So look out for that one. It can make it easier for your stalker or abusive partner to follow your movements. You could be sued for libel or your kids could be targeted by predators. None of these are new. We all knew about all of them. Uh, but there they packaged it together and uh, it's, you know, got that dramatic flair. And they've assigned a villain. Going to the grocery store can do all of those things as well. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly, right? Well, my comment was um, I would say eight or seven out of ten of these have to do with just being dumb. Alive. No, dumb. (laughs) Like, if you're going to be an idiot and post it on your Facebook page, you should expect that your employer might look at it. (laughs) You know? It's, well, it's that's exactly a simple rule. Yeah, assume everything that you say is could be put on the internet. I mean, it's not even about everything you post could be become public. Everything you do could end up online somewhere or another. Exactly. So, you know, would your mother well, think that's okay? Yeah, exactly. Well, and I think this is an interesting lead from Facebook to Twitter, um, and we. Um, have a story about this Twitter mood map visualization that I think is really, really cool. And I um, am linking it to Facebook because Peter had an interesting comment about how this could be used. So I'll let you save that for a minute. But what um, researchers from Northeastern and Harvard University did was gather data from Twitter to give us this lovely visual. They actually have a video and a series of visuals that go with it about how U.S. residents feel through a typical day or week. So it's this very cool colored map that almost doesn't even look like the United States because as the time clock progresses from the beginning of the day through 24 hours, it sort of morphs and ebbs and the colors change from red, meaning not happy, to green, meaning happy. Different parts of the United States swell as Twitter volumes increase in that part of the state. It's just kind of a neat thing to look at. I don't know um, 
you know, I, I find it hard to believe that they could gauge moods across the United States. But they did find, boys, that West Coast tweets were happier than tweets from the East Coast. So <laughs> is, that, is that a surprise? <laughs> no. I wonder how, how, how uh, tweets directly from Salt Lake City, if they were, they are if just... they were generally happy, flowery. And, and you would ask that because so uh, was it just revealed, what, two weeks ago that uh, the happiest place in America is, in fact, Salt Lake City? Yeah. Oh, that explains so much explains about you, Dane. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. You're, you're um, there so, to blow the average. Well, make, make your, <laughs> yeah. your tie into Facebook advertising. Well, no, no, no. You know, if, you're, if you're a hardcore data head and you're doing some really, uh, you know, the, the, this is all the rage is doing this really agile response marketing and and uh, particularly with these new tools that we have on these on like Facebook as a platform where you can go in and you can drop your ad you know uh, over a sp to a highly targeted group highly targeted you know interests and geolocation um, you know it may be interesting to use data like this to say you know what I know New Yorkers at around eleven o'clock at night are pretty pissed off at the world and maybe I'm going to make my ads more aggressive uh, in tone. Uh, and uh, language than at 8.30 in the morning when they tend to be happier. And, mm -hmm. um, and, and so doing that, that level of semantic analysis, that gives us a, a whole new way to think about, um, you know, or a, a new tool to support a way that we've already been thinking about how to target, our, directly target our ads. And, and I think that's a really, it makes for an interesting tool. It'd be interesting to see how it, it becomes more, um, you know, as the tools ex evolve to, to allow us to have that data in more sort of real time. I agree. Yeah. I think it's cool. I think it's very cool. So so what do we have? Is that all that we have on the brain this week? Pretty much. Wow. What a fantastically fast week. And it makes it so much easier to uh, uh, bring the smarts. That's right. Let's do it. <laughs> We are thrilled to bring together a very uh, a, a wonderful new guest to the show. Uh, Chris Gaggs is the president and, and founder of Soma Games. Chris, welcome to uh, welcome to the Naked Marketers. Thank you very much. Uh, it, it seems like we have oh, you know we have just so much to talk about. Um, you uh, are to us. You are most known and most recently as uh, uh, you know with Soma Games as a developer of of G, uh, the uh, a game for the uh, for the iPhone. Uh, but you, you are big in, in, uh, in the rest of the industry. You have your fingers in a lot of different places. Can you give us just a brief rundown of, of what Soma does, what your, your other entities do before we get into the uh, nuts and bolts? Yeah, certainly. Um, um, the other company besides Soma Games is called Code Monkeys. And uh, if you're, if you're going to look that up on the web, uh, make sure it's code-monkeys. Otherwise, you're going to get a, a video game outfit in uh, England. So just for the sake of differentiation, they really do uh, a lot of monkeys. things about monkeys. That company, they are very <laughs> seriously invested in monkeys. They take the monkeys thing like way serious. Way That's seriously, man. Uh, <laughs> well, you know the thing is, like everyone loves monkeys, and so you can you can really make a living just off being a monkey guy. I mean, One way, true yeah, that. True that. that. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right. So code monkeys. <laughs> So CodeMonkeys uh, started about 10 years ago as a web development shop. And, uh, and that was at that time where if you could spell HTML, you could get a nice job. Um, and uh, that's kind of the niche we fell into. And uh, over time, that got more and more into the back end where we were doing databases and e-commerce and applications, that sort of thing. Um, and that was, that was a great gig for, for eight or nine years. Come around 2008, I think you'll all remember that the economy decided to throw itself out the window. And, uh, and, and in the midst of that defenestration act, we found ourselves like just with tumbleweeds around the floor. And uh, CodeMonkeys was having a hard time finding another gig. And uh, of course, w w it was nice to know that it wasn't just us, but it was horrible to know that it wasn't just us. Because then a little bit of marketing or a tweak to your business plan is not going to change anything. Um, but at that same time, we started to kind of get our eyeball on, um, on app development. So that, that was just as the uh, kind of late 2008 was when the iPhone was just starting to really make a lot of news. And we decided we'd throw our hat into the ring, and, and that's when Soma Games as a brand was uh, created. And we, we made this little iPhone game. And so, uh, we wait, really wait a minute. Wait, no 2000, we were... In 2008, they, they hadn't launched the App Store yet, right? Or had they? They had just, uh, yeah, they had actually. It's when oh. it's, uh, late 2008, like by late, I mean late Christmas late. Right. And, uh, and it was just starting to get some headlines, um, but it was still pretty new. 
um, and uh, and it seemed like a, an, a, an opportunity. We had this idea for Soma Games a couple years prior, um, but we were targeting the console market for Xbox or, uh, or PlayStation or something like that, and that cost just a ton of money. So uh, when the iPhone popped up, we realized, hey, we can at least start this video game thing on a lot smaller budget. And so we just decided to take a, a shot at it. And uh, next thing you know, um, G was, uh, was really highly uh, acclaimed. We got so many great reviews. We're really excited. And we had no idea what we were doing, um, but it was a lot of fun. And, uh, and so, so Soma kind of start on its own thing. And it, uh, G has continued to sell, um, which, which is surprising. It's got really long legs for an, for an iPhone game. And, uh, and then that has led to it being ported over to the Intel App Up Center. Um, we're getting it to, uh, to be downloadable for your Mac and your PC. So G continues to, to grow, as well as um, we're working now on the sequel called F. Very creative group of people. Here. <laughs> can, can you talk just a little bit about what G is for those of our listeners who might not be familiar with this game? Sure. Um, we, we created a storyline that's based um, like out in a, kind of a steampunk outer space world. And, uh, and there's, there's, you know, these spaceships have, have sails on them and, and, and stern wheels. And so we, we wanted a really uh, specific look. And then the game G is sort of a puzzle game where every there's 50 levels and every level has sort of a, a gravity um, like planets, but these are called uh, asteroids. And then there's the targets around the level. And by using the gravity in the level, you have to shoot your rocket to create a path that uh, that that goes past all the different targets. And as you do, you have to basically take a picture of them with the sonar. So it's a it's a puzzle game. It's a casual game. Um, and uh, but it has some some kind of arcade elements because you can you can use the uh, the thrusters on the rocket to adjust your path, and uh, and so that was we, it was something that we knew was fairly simple on the game mechanic, but that was something we knew we could pull off. You know, we weren't trying to make Halo Three right out of the gates, and uh, and so that that's the basic game. And so the name G um, comes from the primary game mechanic, gravity, um, and then the sequel F is based on force, and so it's it's set in the same world, but ten years later. Um, it's a very different game mechanic, and this one F is a lot more like, say, uh, so it's say like pool in space. So you're you're knocking these 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 uh, rocks around, and you have these different tools you attach to the to the asteroids to pull them around and, and and get them engaged with one another. So it becomes this gigantic billiard table. Um, but then there's also pirates and and bad guys and timing, and so there's there's a lot of additional elements. Um, and, uh, and that's kind of what we're doing, and uh, it's it's been a lot of fun. I, for me, the fun part about video games is telling stories, and so I just love to make this little story. We got a graphic novel that is that's now in progress because um, people really like the story, and so we got a publisher looking at at uh, at, at, a, at a big old like sixty page graphic novel. Um, cool. We're having a lot of fun with Selma. It's it, and and not to under you know the one thing you didn't say about what G is is it, it's beautiful. I mean, it's really. Uh, it, very artfully executed and it's it's uh it's it's downright addicting to just look at it is it is a beautifully and artfully directed game talk a little bit about the development uh about the development experience developing an, a, a a game for the small screen like that how what what are the things that you go into uh, what are the considerations that you you take into account when you're developing for a small screen as opposed to as you were saying you know developing for a console the biggest thing is is uh, user interface, and so you know you're you're realizing that you've got uh, you've got people who who have relatively chubby fingers who are all working on this itty bitty little screen, and so you have to make sure that any element that you are are needing them to interact with is is big enough. And so that might seem like a simple thing, but when you're when you're trying to squeeze a lot of information into a little space, you have to do a lot of thinking um, how you're how you're sort of stacking your different information. So in our game, you have to configure. The rocket. You have to configure how strong is the thrust, how many stages, how long is the burn. So there's quite a lot of information that you have to get in there. Um, and so, so actually, getting the UI to to be reasonably effective was a uh, was was quite a challenge. And in fairness, it's not the UI that we would have picked on a on a console game, uh, just by virtue of how many pixels we have to work with. So, for example, when you configure your rocket, you have to go into a whole different screen. Um, if I really had my druthers on, say, an Xbox. The whole thing would be done in one screen, because you've got the space to do that. Right. Um, but uh, but it makes you think really out of the box. You have to do some very different uh, considerations. Um, and then of course, the horsepower on the on the iPhone is another uh, big concern. So you you know you have to really limit 
G is a 2D game, um, but, uh, but, but F is a 3D game. And we have to really think a lot about how many polygons, you know, how are you managing your shaders? So it, it just can't do the fancy stuff that an Xbox can. So you have to be really deliberate as you plan for that stuff. Um, but that said, it's something you get used to pretty quick. Um, and uh, and, and, and the, I think the UI is the one thing that really makes the iPhone and the, and the, and the iPad now, um, there's such, such a neat way that people are interacting with, with the touch interface that, uh, that I think is unique. And I think it really is a secret sauce to why that platform has been so, so successful. Well, talk to me a little bit about the, about the iPad then. Uh, you don't, G does not exist for the iPad right now, right? Um, it's not. It runs on the iPad great. In fact, if you take the iPhone version and just run it on your iPad, it looks even more beautiful. Um, we and we didn't have to do anything for that. Just that's just the two um, X scaling that's built into the display. Exactly. Yeah. And so, uh, so you get a little bit of uh, of black space around the edges, just because it's not the same aspect ratio. But it looks wonderful, and we were really excited about that. We didn't have to do anything. Um, now F is going to be the iPad as its primary target. We'll also have to make sure we scale it down for the iPhone. But the iPad is kind of its sweet spot. And, uh, and so we'll be having higher resolution graphics. Um, the iPad's got, got more horsepower. Um, and, uh, and of course, in that framework, you have a lot more space for UI elements. And so we get a chance to, to make that uh, tighter and cleaner. Um, but, uh, but by and large, you still have the same mechanics of the accelerometer and the touch and the swipe and the gestures. And that sort of thing is really, is really unique compared to, say, the netbook. So when we ported G to the netbook, we had to blow up a lot of the graphics on G, just get more pixels in there so it didn't look really chunky. Um, and you have to map everything from a touch screen and from an accelerometer out to keyboard and mouse controls. Oh, sure. So I, I'm really interested, Chris, if, if we could take it back a little bit, because now I'm starting to get lost when you guys are talking really technically. But <laughs> no, um, no I, I'm just interested in taking it back to the growth of, of Soma. I, I'm, I'm interested because, you know, you make it sound so, you know, sort of organic that you kind of, oh, here's an opportunity to develop on the iPhone, um, a way for you guys to get this video game launched. And then, you know, a couple years later, it's this great, highly acclaimed game. It's got lots of great reviews. You're on the Intel App Up Center. I mean, it's this great, amazing growth. So can you, can you reflect a little bit back on, on that growth and what, you know, different factors you, you think are converging to make all of those things happen? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'll tell you one thing is that uh, is that Soma was already really a, a fully formed concept way before the iPhone launched. So, so we had business plans and spreadsheets and all that business, including the majority of our IP, was already laid out before this happened. And okay. so uh, there's this old saying that uh, luck is what happens when uh, opportunity and preparedness meet. And uh, we were prepared for Soma. Like we were going down the console path. It was already it was already kind of moving along. Got it. Um, the opportunity was this was this new platform was this iPhone platform, um, which allowed us the uh, the fourth game in our in our arc series is is still designed to be a platform game. And so what the iPhone did is it said, hey, here's a here's a space where you can one spend a you know a, a tenth or less of the money you would spend on a on an Xbox game. Um, but also the kind of the nature of the platform really allows us to do these sort of little episodic uh, content things. So the whole idea of G and F and E is, is going to be the third iPhone game. Those are all designed to be sort of prequels to the game that we already had fully designed. And so most of the storyline was sort of already written. All we had to do is sort of fill in backstory um, and create a game around that. Um, so we, we definitely had a lot of stuff that was already prepared on the shelf ready to go. Um, we also had some core principles, so we didn't just throw this together. Um, so I appreciate your comments about the artwork, and uh, we, we've had just some awesome artists to work with. Um, but that was also a decision that we'd made a long time ago, that, that we knew that the visuals and the sound, those had to be really good. Um, and uh, and, and the, the notion was, so often indie gamers, that's the first thing they skimp on, because if they're programmers, like either art isn't at the top of their mind as a value, or they're just incapable of like, they're, they're good coders. They're not good artists. Um, and so often people are trying to throw something together on a shoestring, but we knew that art had to be uh, catching because if someone sees your game and they're not engaged pretty quickly, they're not going to give it the time of day to learn what it's like. Well, um, and, and to be and fair, I think that's, it, that's one thing that is. 
Well, yeah, to be fair, I mean, G is one of those games that it, it takes a few minutes to get your head around the concept. It's it's at once, it's yeah. a very steady concept. It's also kind of fragile. And if you don't take the five minutes it takes to really kind of figure out the control schema, it, it can be tricky. Yeah. And, uh, you know, earlier versions of G, um, uh, this is one of the things that's just beautiful about the iPhone. Earlier versions of G were things where we had to tinker a lot with with UI and with speed and pacing. Like there were some things where, you know, you're just making rookie mistakes, but, you know, we're rookies, so that's fair. Um, and uh, and so, for example, the very first version of G was about half the speed, like the rocket moved a lot slower. Um, and, and for me, what happened in my mind is I was comparing it to games like, like uh, Gravity Golf, and those tend to be thinkers. And, uh, and you know, the, some of these are old Flash games or even old, you know, DOS games, and, uh, and they... They're they're you know made by designer or for engineers and by engineers and you're you're calculating your your thrust down to fifteen decimal places and stuff like this, and so that's kind of the the history of where G comes out of. But on the iPhone, it just didn't really fly, just from a gameplay perspective. So we really had to tinker with some of that stuff. And uh, you know, it still is is a thinker game. It's not an action game, um, but uh, but a lot less so than it used to be. I, I mull over as I look at what's going on in this economy about the the existence of the app economy and and what it means that you know Apple has the more locked down uh, the iTunes store the app store and and you know Android's got their open store and 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 there just seem like there are so many gated communities now that are that are popping up around apps. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your experience working, you know, with Apple being in the App Store, what it's done for you, and maybe what the challenges are, um, you know, being in this business? Yeah, and you know, this goes back a little bit to Megan's question: is is how this all came together? Is that G was pretty highly acclaimed, we got great reviews, um, but it's not like it was this, you know, breakout seller. Um, so it continues to sell, but we've never been like uh, above, I think, about a hundredth place um, in the, in the store. And so, you know, just to be, to be candid, uh, G doesn't pay the bills. Um, what's, what's happened has been that people saw G, they liked what they saw, and then they would call code monkeys to say, Hey, can you build our game? And so that's where the other business kind of found its own niche is that I, I, had, I didn't imagine that we would reshape around mobile, but, uh, but just immediately after G came out, um, and in fact, a little bit before that, we you know you throw a fifty dollar Google AdWords out there and says that for code monkeys, and it said we've never built an app, but we're willing to try, and we'll give you a great price if you'll take a shot on us. <laughs> and uh, that was really the whole ad, and and we had so much traffic, you'd be it was shocking. Wow! Um, and uh, everyone wanted to get in on that on the store, and uh, and people were just throwing money at weird ideas, and so we uh, <laughs> we probably we probably built a dozen apps that year under the code monkeys banner for other people. And uh, that's what kept the lights on. That's what paid the bills. And it also gave us really invaluable experience because so many folks were really trying to press the envelope and do something new. And, and they had these fantastic, uh, fantastic and strange concepts that we were just, you know, encouraged to, to, to build. Um, uh, and, and, and as. Oh. Sorry, did, did you save a, a copy of that ad so that you could kind of frame that and put that <laughs> on your wall? Yeah, we got a snapshot of that. It was it was really funny because you, you think that's the silliest ad in the world, but people really responded to it well. That's, I love that. And uh, I love that. So uh, so that's that's how that's that that bought us the time we needed for you know in in, in the, and you know you know John uh, Berkwist you know as our social media guy a, a lot of times social media takes some time to gel and people have to hear your name they got to spread the word. Um, but that bought us some time, and uh, we just kept making friends who uh, who liked one thing or another, and uh, and we've been lucky that we've never been beholden to any particular platform. So, you know, we were writing for Apple and the and the iThings um, because that's what was going on for a while. But when uh, when App Up came out, we saw a big opportunity there. We wanted to to jump in on that. Um, I see an opportunity for Android. Is uh, and what what I'm seeing in the market is that as much. As they're selling hardware, it doesn't seem that they've quite got the traction on their app store yet. Right. But you can count on us being. Um, and what I imagine happening is that someone's going to respond to another ad to, that that they want to have an Android app out there, and so we'll take their money and and uh, learn the ropes, and uh, and then that will kind of prime the pump to keep on going. And and that's how we've been going, just sort of rolling from from project to project. Um, and all the while, Soma's in the background. So uh, so Code Monkeys has started to create some of its own products. 
um, that are its own brand, um, sort of thinking a little bit bigger than just the next one up project app. And uh, as in the meantime, you know, we've just had it, there's a funny thing is that uh, G's been selling in the in the iPhone store here for a while. And we just recently started um, pre-selling uh, downloads for the Mac and the PC. And you, you'd think that it was a brand new thing. So like we're, we're having <laughs> this awesome, you know, interest in this in this game that's now a year and a half old as if they've never heard of it before. Wow. And, and, you know, and, and if you're in that space, maybe you, you probably never have. So, Chris, could you talk a little bit about um, what I was supposed to be asking you about in the first place, which was the ego apps? I'm, I'm interested to hear. I, I really don't know a whole lot about them. Sure. Um, uh, we, we first uh, got the idea for an ego app is a, a fellow who does uh, speaking towards uh, high schoolers. And so he's kind of like this motivational speaker. He's this uh, ex-NFL um, kind of all-star guy. And, uh, and, and he was noticing when he's in the high schools talking to these kids that uh, very often they're, they're up there on their handsets doing, you know, he's not even sure if they're paying attention to him. Um, so they're, they're <laughs> tweeting and Facebooking. And so he came to us asking for a way that maybe he could engage these, these folks. And so he's, we, the idea came up of, well, why don't we just give them what they're already doing? Why don't we just make an app for them that they can tweet and look on Facebook and look at pictures but in this case, at least steer them towards your stuff. So he was—he's got a pretty active social media um, campaign, and so we we came up with this idea for a, a free app that he would tell about on a, you know, as he's giving in, into each event. Um, it comes with with their own hashtag that, that's sort of specific to to Lavar's uh, speaking, and then it would also have sort of basic notions of uh, sort of an about us and photo gallery that kind of jazz. And so the the whole concept was let's make a single app that, bro- that draws all of your social media things all into one space, um, as well as, you know, in his case, there's not really a call to action uh, on the end, but for a lot of other people, there is. And so if I'm a motivational speaker, I may be selling books or another seminar, or, you know, you know, sign up for level two or something like that. And so we knew that there had to be a, a place for a call to action. Um, and, uh, and so that kind of just built this idea of the ego app of anyone whose main business is selling themselves and especially people who are active with social media, we just wanted to draw all of those uh, embassies and, and, and listening posts into one app um, to let people engage with this viewer. Now, if you're someone who, for example, is, is selling a book or maybe you're asking for donations, the idea that you can have all of this stuff instantaneously in front of your listeners who can right now, they can tweet about you. They can post, uh, they can share your, 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 your blog with their friends. Give them these tools that are immediate and instantaneous, as well as have that donate or buy now moment, so that when you say something that really inspires them, and they they have that 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 instant where like, man, I really want to support what this fellow's doing. Um, you just put it right there, and so you plug it into PayPal or your own tool, and uh, and uh, and so and so rather than, than than doing that bit where at the end of the thing where you say, hey, if you like what I said, you know, we've got a table in the back, and you can buy books, or go to our website, and you can. Sign up for the next conference. Just just put it right in front of their hands since they're on their on their mobiles anyway. That is and, so uh, that smart. Much, thanks. We we kind of stumbled onto that. This is one where where it was really someone else's idea, but then we just sort of built on it. I just um, think it's it's that whole like buying in the moment thing because I. I've worked in the seminar business and I've certainly been to conferences where, you know, in the moment you're so motivated and inspired. And then you're like, what was that website again? When you get home or you don't want to wait in the back of the room to buy the book or that. Yeah. I think that's interesting. And uh, one place we found is really useful is uh, anybody who does like, uh, like, like especially say uh, missionaries or, or pastors, someone who's got sort of a ministry nonprofit thing going on. And that's, that's not only in the church, but that could be, you're your, uh, feeding kids or, or anything that's that nonprofit thing. So often those folks live and die by that inspirational speaker who's going to motivate people to to cough up, you know, a couple bucks to, to send another textbook to Africa. And you got to get them right in that instant. What are the costs for, for developing an, uh, an ego app like that? I mean, we, we were, you know, one of the things that we brought up earlier was the expense of developing a console game, you know, that is very very expensive, but but for jumping into the ego app, if if you're a professional speaker or something, you want to have an ego app developed for your own business. What are we looking at? We started. We we have a couple different levels because different people want different things. And so if you have, uh, there's there's sort of a templated version where where we can say these are the specific things that you get, and you 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 provide us artwork and some URLs and that sort of stuff. And then you're looking probably around uh, around five grand 
for that to get it live and ready. Um, but then the more customized you get, really the sky's the limit. Although I'd be, I, I can't imagine someone spending more than say about 20 um, for all the custom features you can imagine. That could be, um, maybe I don't want, for example, it to go to my blog. I want this to link to my video podcast thing. And so we, we had these other features that you can add on for additional money. So somewhere between five and 20. Now, for, for in your experience, how are people, dis, uh, you know, most of the folks distributing their, their apps? Are they, are they paid apps, or, or do you have any experience with folks going down the ad-supported route? Ad-supported is very popular, um, and, uh, and especially when you know that your app is designed to have people looking at it on a regular basis, ads can actually be really, a really great way to fund it. But uh, what we've sort of uh, imagined the app to be is is more as a uh, as as a tool to help sell whatever you're selling, whether that's uh, fundraising or you know maybe you're a politician looking for donations, that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, and and just knowing that this that you have that uh, that uh, word of mouth thing going for you, it acts as, as partially a, a marketing um, cost, um, which is always a little bit hard to you know manage on an ROI perspective. Uh, but also that that ability to capture. Uh, revenue right in the moment. So the the folks who've been who've been uh, looking at it and and, uh, and and using it seem to feel that the the turnaround on that has been very very positive. Um, it's not the thing that pays for itself, uh, you know, in one event, but uh, you know, over the course of a uh, couple months, uh, if you're pretty active, it can very it, it 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 usually pays for itself. So it's really good for that. Well, it seems like such a terrific opportunity, uh, and boy, at, at that sort of level of entry to, to get in on, on creating a promotional tool that is so, uh, that can be so valuable. I, I think that's a pretty terrific, uh, pretty terrific way to start the, start a new, new arm of your business. Uh, well, we, we, and you can really, what's nice is it's got some long time. It, like it, it lasts for a long time where, uh, you know, as so, so long as people are using their iPhone, you can easily make additional updates, and that's, you know, uh, free to your users as far as, as your schedule changes. You know, if you're an author, that's another real popular category where that fifth column is a, uh, is a place where you can sell your books, e-books, mm -hmm. and they can download additional books as, uh, as, as downloads. And that kind of stuff can just grow as you grow. You know, Chris, this has been so I feel like we could talk about this stuff for uh, for much longer, uh, but uh, we have taken up much of your valuable time. And we just so appreciate you uh, joining us to to chat about the uh, the market, the economy, the app economy. It's it, you've got such great expertise in this and we hope you will uh, you'll join us again and uh, and pick up where we left off. So where would you like people to find you if they'd like to learn learn more about all the good stuff that you guys are doing? Um, the, uh, the one site is code-monkeysplural.com and the other is somagames.com, just one word. So code-monkeys.com and somagames.com to learn all the great stuff about Chris Gags and what he is, he and his team are, are up to. There are some great examples of, uh, of, uh, the iPhone apps that you can uh, you can get into and what it means to uh, to grow your own uh, your own iPhone app with a great partner like CodeMonkey. So uh, thanks again, Chris, for for your time and attention today. We truly appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thank you. I like that Chris Skaggs. He's such a good sport to come on uh, and uh, and share his wisdom with us. Uh, uh, lots of cool opportunities in the app space. What do you say? Yeah, I'm just I'm blown away by just the breadth of things that he does and knows about. It's just it's interesting. And I really like their well, we don't know how to do this, but we're willing to give it a shot. I love that they oh, put I that in an that. ad. That's love that. And it's great because, you know, I mean, it's it's uh, not been a really fabulous economy for the last uh, few years. But wow, what a what a thing to watch. And I'm, I'm glad to have somebody like that on the show because it gives us a, a bit of a, a, a look into this really dynamic uh, area of, of growth um, uh, in the technology world. Absolutely. And, and speaking of other great areas of growth uh, in the technology world, uh, we are, uh, we, last week we had our, uh, the tool on the show was the latest Evernote update because they added some significant new uh, features uh, to the Evernote client. We're big fans of Evernote here on the show. And uh, we, this week, only, only a week late, uh, the uh, uh, <laughs> wonderfully talented and brilliant uh, Andrew Sinkov has agreed to join us once again to uh, walk us through some of these changes and answer a few of our questions about it. So this is I feel like we can actually say we have a friend of the show because we have Andrew Sinkov from Evernote who has been on the show once and agreed to come back and talk to us again. 
Oh, I'm so Yay. happy to do it. Oh, it's 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 really great. It's it's uh it it, it justifies everything we do. <laughs> uh, but we're here for a very special reason. Last week we were, uh, you know, this was our our tool uh, for the week because uh, Evernote again was our tool for the week uh, because, well, because it's awesome, and uh, second because you launched a significant update uh, in the Evernote trunk yes. service. Uh, what yes. is trunk? Uh, well, the Evernote trunk is, uh, besides just an amazingly clever word, um, it's it's a um, it's basically a showcase of all of the amazing integrations that uh, have come about over the past couple of years. We have um, over two thousand developers working with our technology to build these amazing integrations, and we wanted to showcase them. And so we built uh, we built this thing called the trunk, which is available in uh, Mac and Windows versions of Evernote on the web and on iPad. Uh, that allows people to see all of the great ways that they can make their Evernote experience more awesome by um, working with some of these partner products that are out there. These partner products, which have been, like you said, which have been around for you know years, but frankly, I mean, I as an Evernote user for years, I haven't really explored any of them. I think they're. I'm probably not alone. A lot of these things kind of sit invisible unless you're already a fan of them. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that's that was that was the main impetus behind this whole project was that what what happens is, you know, uh, we would talk about a given integration on our blog and we would tweet about it and we would, you know, get our community excited. And then that would sort of fade away as new users would come in. They wouldn't necessarily see that. So what we wanted to do is we wanted to bring all of these integrations front and center for all of our users. Uh, and so now, really, everybody can see all the great stuff that's out there. Well, it really is. Uh, it really is terrific. I'm on the iPad version right now, and it's, you know, just beautiful. What are your uh, What are some of the of your favorite uh, uh, favorite? What do you call them? Are, do you call them apps or? There, there are, you know, they're integrations. They're, integrations. They're, these are, these are, these. You know, the thing is that they're all different, right? So they're different categories. They go from mobile applications. There's a ton of uh, hardware stuff from scanner companies, uh, companies like iFi, phone companies. There's uh, software that's on your desktop. So they cross a bunch of different categories. Um, some of my favorites are, I'm really excited about things like voice transcription. Um, so we've, we've added a bunch of partners now that, that provide voice transcription services. So a person can either call a phone number or uh, associate their account with, for example, dial to do is one of these companies. Uh, and what they'll do is they will transcribe either a portion or an entire section of your, um, of an, of an audio note and bring it back to you as text, which is searchable, so people can leave voice notes and then have uh, the text there available for them. It's really cool. That is really cool. It sort of brings up, and I can't remember if we talked about this in the, in the interviews, uh, but it's, it's a question I think this explicitly brings up for me, which is how when you see all these great innovations and integrations that are going on with Evernote, how do you guys make the decision whether or not you're going to add uh, about about how you manage what features you build into core Evernote versus you you know that you leave as an uh, an integration partner? Because uh, you know, I mean, it's something that Apple gets into all the time. They're constantly pilfering other developers' ideas. It seems like. <laughs> well, that's that's a that's a really great question. One that's 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 uh, really kind of central to Evernote. The way that we think about our product is that we are really focused on this one thing, which is helping people remember everything. And we have a roadmap that includes, you know, a ton of work on improving that. And um, we're growing our team here to make it, you know, even better. And, and we have so many plans for the product. But the truth is that even with all these plans and even with our growing team, we couldn't possibly do all the stuff that, A, we want to do. But also there are tons of great ideas out there that we've never thought of. And that's what we're seeing in the developer community. So we're just excited by everything um, that's out there. And, and to date, everything that, that we've put out there are things that we're really excited to showcase to our users. Um, it's not necessarily things that we would have time to do. A uh, mm -hmm. great example of that is a, a product called Egret List. Uh, this is this is a developer out of uh, Puerto Rico that uses Evernote and said, "Man, I love Evernote, but their uh, task management is just not really that great." So what I want to do is I want to improve the to-do capabilities of Evernote by building an application directly on top of Evernote's checkboxes. So you can create checkboxes in Evernote. This great iPhone app called Egret List pulls those checkboxes automatically, turns them into these really attractive to-do lists. Great idea. We just don't have the time to do it. They did it. They're making money because they did it. So it's fantastic. Oh, that's great. That's so pretty. So my question is, how many of the universe of all these 
um, new, well, not applications, but what, what did you, what did we just decide they're called integrations, um, in in this whole universe of integrations, like what percentage of them do you say, okay, yeah, these are going to go into our trunk. I mean, are, do you have, you know, are there's just huge waiting list of developers developing these little things and wanting you to, to put them in the trunk or are these the people you've been working with for a while or, What's, what are the trends you're seeing there? Yeah, so we, we've got, I mean, our plan and our hope is that we're going to have, uh, you know, a handful of new integrations show up every week, every couple of weeks. Um, and we basically, the way that we look at it is we want to put as much into the trunk as we possibly can. We want the quality to be high enough. So we do, you know, we do curate the trunk. So we go over and, and make sure that uh, the apps work and that they provide a, a function that's, that's useful. Um, so far, that's true of the majority of them. So uh, basically, we, we will often go back to a developer and say, I think this is not that different from what, you know, someone like Apple would do is they go back to the developer and they say, hey, you know, the thing doesn't work quite like you've advertised. Why don't you, you know, mm. fix a few things and make it a little better. That's a very standard approach. We definitely don't want to give our users uh, recommendations for products that aren't, you know, up to par sure. or, or that could, you know, potentially do something weird with their data or something. So we want to make sure that everything in there is uh, we've checked, we've approved, uh, it works and we're happy with. Well, I'm so glad you said that because of Dane. Uh, he has a question. <laughs> because of <laughs> Because of Dane. Dane. Yeah. Well, and, and so after we talked about this last week, um, uh, I thought, great. Um, and Pete had we, he was Pete was sort of running down a list, sort of a little bit like we did here. But um, oh well, there's this, 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 and the, but none of us had tried anything. And and the one that jumped out was the uh, dial to do uh, voice to note. And I thought, man, I mean, I've that's something I'd really love to have integrated, and is something I've kind of been looking for as a good, convenient, you know, voice uh, transcription kind of uh, software that I can use. So that's the only one actually that I I. I went straight in, looked for, downloaded it, and, and started to go through the activation process. So my question is, um, through that process, one of the little uh, uh, questions is, uh, are you willing to give them, uh, it looks to me like, unfettered access to all of your notes for the next 365 days, um, which I guess is partly how they work because they want to comb through and look if see if there's like a voice note that they um, uh, can uh, transcribe for you. So. Right. Right. I felt a little nervous about that. I don't know. What do you What do you think about? Uh, the, I mean, is that is anybody? I mean, has that been a problem for anybody else? I mean, should should I should it be a red flag for me? I think I think it's I think it's always fair to to you know kind of be vigilant about those types of things. Now, the way that that any of our API partners or any of the integrations work is that. Um, you're allowing it's same thing as like with Twitter or something. Whenever you connect your your Twitter client to, let's say, you know, Twitterific or some other thing, um, or TweetDeck, you know, you, you kind of have to go through that approval process that says like, yep, I approve this, you know, this application accessing my data. Uh, it's the same thing here. Um, you're basically saying that you're okay with, in this case, dial to do, or the same is true for most of the partners that you're okay with them accessing your data um, for the purpose of the application that they're running. Um, you can always go into your settings on Evernote web and you can disallow that. So you can say, okay, I don't want this to be the case anymore. And you can turn that off. Uh, but this is sort of the, the, the way that these things function. So dial to do is a perfect example of this. Um, that app is providing a fantastic function around uh, voice transcription. And one of the cool things that they do is they will go into your account, find any voice notes that you have, and then pull them out, transcribe them, put them back in with transcription. They need access to your data. Uh, sure. That's, just, that's kind of the way it works. So in order for that for that uh, product to function, that's how it has to go. Um, and, and you can and, always, you know, it's up to you. If if you're not comfortable with that, you certainly shouldn't. Uh, but uh, in order to get this really really useful service, that's what you're going to have to allow. What, what would it take to get the words "get over yourself, Dane" <laughs> added to the no, legalese? No. no, here's the thing. I got I got over it, yeah. <laughs> and I did it, and I gave it access, uh, making the assumption that. Uh, as you just said, like, well, you can go in and disallow that at some point. But but what I went through in my head when I when this happened, when I get this page that says, you know, they've got to get in and 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 do that, I it went like I had to sort of shift gears mentally from like a lazy kind of like, okay, I'm adding an app, great, this will be fun. To whoa, now okay, now wait a minute, all right. right so I know right, I trust right. Evernote. Uh, now Evernote is um, suggesting this service. Now I don't know anything about Dial to Do as a company. I've never I, I've never done anything with them but I trust Evernote so I think I'm probably okay here so had I found 
style to do on my own. And, and, you know, if, you know, if before trunk there already existed some way to integrate that, but I would have had to take a different path, I probably wouldn't have, I probably wouldn't have had enough sort of trust there um, right at that sure, moment, sure, but at least sure. doing a little more research. I didn't do any additional research because, again, I felt like they were getting the okay by you guys, therefore it was okay. So, Which is anyway. part of the point of the App Store, too, uh, is to give that sort of trusted third party a, a voice. I, I have one more question because I know we've, we've gone way too long and taken up way too much of your time, but I have one more question, which I think is so great and we haven't talked about it yet. It's this idea of notebooks. Oh yeah, yeah, we have to talk about that. We really do. I and my my first, you know, I lo- the idea is you go into Trunk, you click on the notebooks tab uh, and uh, and you see these third-party publishers who are publishing these notebooks of great information that will sync into your Evernote account. Am I getting it right? Exactly. That's exactly right. We're 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 just so this idea um is so it's very different, right? From anything mm-hmm. that you've seen from us before, um, Evernote as a content distribution platform is not is not the way that most people would think of the product. Uh, but we we've been working with these uh, with a few of our favorite uh, blogs and publishers. That's uh, Make Magazine, Cool Hunting, California Home and Design, Black Book, and a couple of others uh, to provide our users with curated exclusive content. Uh, that with like one or two clicks, you can get into your Evernote account as a notebook of stuff, of projects or ideas or travel tips. It's really great. So, uh, what you know, I, first thing I think is, as a content publisher, what does it take to be to publish a notebook for other people to to uh, to integrate into their Evernote experience? Is that on the roadmap? Well, so the so that's that's essentially what this functionality is. Right. So you're you know you work with us uh, in the beginning. You know, I mean, down the road, I don't know if I don't know what our plans are. Down the road, we may make this uh, simpler. But right now, you know, uh, if you're interested as a publisher in being added to the Evernote trunk, you contact us. Uh, there's a form on our website, and uh, basically, we work with you to to uh, you know bring together some content. The content. Uh, could be new content. It could be content that already exists somewhere online. But the idea is that these publishers are now getting access to our, you know, almost 3.75 million users, and these are users that probably have never heard of of their publications, or a large portion probably have not heard of them. And at the same time, so besides getting the exposure for our users, this becomes sort of a starting point. So I think of like the Make Magazine, Home and Garden. Uh, notebook as a great example of this, that is a DIY notebook that's going to be the starting point for all of your DIY projects going forward. And that becomes sort of a branded experience uh, that's branded by Make, even if that contains stuff that you found on your own or ideas that you have outside of the notebook itself. Uh, it's absolutely so cool. cool. Uh, it's really, really cool. And um, uh, just uh, has the feedback been so far, folks, over the last week? It's been great. Um, you know, I think that uh, we, we've never done, so we were really excited because I mean, personally, I was very excited because this was Evernote's first press conference. We had a press event. Um, we made a lot of hay about this because it was, it was, and people don't really do press conferences as it right. turns out. Um, <laughs> but, but, but it, but it became, you know, we got, we got a ton of attention. Um, I think from generally from the media, there's, there's this understanding of the kind of the direction where we're headed, which is moving slightly away from being a, solely an app and being a, really a platform. As you can see, we've got like 2,000 developers, all these different apps that are in the trunk already. Um, we are, Evernote is becoming the basically a memory platform. And we want to showcase that. And that's what the media is really understanding this. Uh, our users are excited about getting access to all these new applications and new uses. So um, we, are, we are thrilled. Well, it's awesome. it is really cool, and uh, boy, we just thank you for taking the time today. Congrats on a on a great uh, release. Great, thanks for having me. And that's all we have this week for uh, the Naked Marketers. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, as for us, uh, Dane, where would you like people to go find you if they want to learn more about all the wonderful things you're doing? Uh, I'd like them to go to strike10media.com, and I want them to get really excited about the fact that I'm now using Mars Edit, and what I post on strike10media.com is going to be populating some other social media platforms I'll be able to discuss in the future. Like Orkut? Uh, No, probably Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe Twitter. Oh. But Mars Edit is awesome. It is awesome. Congratulations on moving me up. to that tool, Pete. Mars I, Edit is awesome. I am so glad to hear you doing that. We should, that, that is a great testimonial for Mars Edit. That even Dane uses Mars Edit. <laughs> 
Uh, Whatever that means. (laughs) (laughs) Megan, uh, Megan Strand, where do you want people to find you? Um, I hang out on Twitter quite a bit at Megan Strand and my blog. So, yeah. Annoyingly so. Oh, way too much. Are you guys? Wow, that is from somebody media. who doesn't even log That's in. That's why so I did. What do you know? <laughs> I'm just poking at you. Oh, snap. Okay. Oh. Go ahead. Oh. Where's it? What? Finish your. I don't finish know your where plug. my website is. I'm all flustered now, Dane. I, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm at, it. That's all I'm saying. Encouraged.com, which is I N C O U R A G E D. Outstanding, and I am at Pete Wright on Twitter. Please follow me. I would love it. And uh, um, uh, at fifthandmain.com, all written out. That's my website, www.fifthandmain.com. Come by there from time to time. I write about all sorts of stuff like Apple. And uh, the show, you can learn a lot more about the show at, uh, at Naked, Marketer, Naked Markets, at Naked Markets on Twitter and www.thenakedmarketers.com, where you can catch up with all of our back episodes and subscribe to us in the iTunes store, which is the best way. Uh, to uh, make sure that you don't miss a single episode. And uh, I think that's all we have. Uh, anything else from you people? I think Nothing? that's it. Thanks Nothing. for joining us. Thanks for joining us, everybody. I just want everybody. people to stay sexy. Stay sexy. <laughs> sexy. <laughs> See, that's where I just start repeating and don't even think about what's going to come out of my mouth. <laughs> uh, okay. On behalf of Dane and Megan, I am Pete Wright, and this has been another uh, hilarious awesome episode of The Naked Marketers. What was that? Hilarious. Awesome. That was great. You know, I totally stole that from from uh, Neil Patrick Harris. I should, oh, really? I should actually credit Neil Patrick Harris. Credit Neil Patrick Harris. How quickly can you say <laughs> credit, that? Credit Neil Patrick Harris, 2010.